Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your sports betting needs and info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports development for the NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball, fights, and NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all sports wagering needs, including live betting and fan favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's really easy to get started. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and use our promo code BLEAV. That's B L E A V. To receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Hello, everybody. This is Jeremy Evans, your host of the Believe in Sports Law podcast. This is episode 23 of season four. Today is Monday, June 6, 2022. Hope that you had a terrific weekend. Today, we have a very special episode with uh, two guests. We have Dennis Gilbert, who is a former player agent, very famous, represented. Uh, many different ball players from George Brett to Brett Saberhagen to Bobby Bonilla to Barry Bonds and, and many others of several Hall of Famers in there. And uh, he is now currently the president of the Gilbert Group, uh, which is an insurance company, provides a lot of players with insurance and their families and looks to help them. Of course, he's the author of the Bobby Bonilla, con- Bobby Bonilla contract, which is still paying Bonilla um, million dollars a year, I think through 2000 to, to the early 2030s. And then we have Henry Tufnell, who is a sports agent uh, for soccer players, international soccer players, and uh, some ML, MLS players as well. So uh, welcome them to the show. And uh, thank you again uh, for listening in. All right. So as I mentioned, we have uh, Dennis Gilbert with us, um, you know, again, very well-known sports agent, uh, former sports agent, and uh, and I, I sent over some uh, some uh, some background on Dennis and also on uh, Henry Tufnell, who is a sports agent as well. And um, so, as we so before we get into it, Dennis, would you mind maybe giving a little bit of sort of your background and um, how you got into sports agency and maybe a little bit about your career and 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 what you're working on now. Sure. <laughs> we got a month for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so I started out as a player. I played in the minor leagues a little bit. And when I got out of minor league baseball, uh, I coached baseball at LA City College. But because I didn't have a college degree, I uh, became a landscaper and was, and so they had to pay me as a landscaper, but I still coached the baseball team there. I was lining the fields, picking up popcorn boxes, uh, watering, doing everything that landscapers do, get paid. This is after six years of minor league baseball. One day, uh, some, a guy drives up to practice. He's driving a red Cadillac. And I'm, you know, I have a Dodge van. So and he's the father of one of my players. I said, what are you doing? He says, I sell insurance. Next thing I know, I'm in the insurance business. I'm in it for four or five years. Who do you sell insurance to? You sell insurance to the people you know and the people I knew were baseball players. And uh, one of my clients called me up, a fellow named George Brett, who's in the Hall of Fame now. So, Dennis, you think you, uh, I'm in the middle of a contract negotiation. I need an agent. Can you help me out? I said, sure. Why not? Didn't sound tough to me. So I took the red eye to Kansas City, 
met with the owner of the uh, Kansas City Royals and ended up getting him probably the biggest contract in the history of baseball at that time. Still getting paid. And he was my very, very first client. You know, 20 years later, I sold my part of the company to other after and we had like over 200 players, broke records at least 12 times during those years as far as salaries. Cy Young Award winners have had batting champions, had home run champions, you know, just you know, just about dominated baseball. And 2020, I left the business and stayed in the insurance business. I ran two companies, had about 88 employees. Now I'm down to about, I'd say about eight or nine. And you know, some of the things that, that, you know, I never thought I'd be famous at all, but everybody keeps calling me on, on July 1st for Bobby Bonilla Day. <laughs> And that's just, that was just a, an insurance policy where I helped the will ponds defer some money and having the insurance background really helped a lot. So I guess that's my background today. I still sell insurance. I sell the Bobby Bonilla plan, but now I can finance it. You know, it's a little very sophisticated. When I started in the insurance business, I lived in a one-room apartment where the bed came out of the wall. And we had uh, a kitchen. And, and that was it in the bathroom. Now I live in Homeby Hills, I'm proud to say, which is right across the street from the, pit, from the Playboy Mansion, what's left of it anyway. And uh, got a great life. Married to one woman for the last 44 and a half years. Three kids, two grandkids, and probably a couple to be named later. <laughs> I love it, Dennis. No, that's great. Um, I mean, the marriage, everything. I mean, that's just such a, <laughs> it's such a rarity these days. And and for the folks who don't know, Homely Hills is a nice, really nice area. So uh very, 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 something very to be proud of there. I, I agree. Thank you. Um, no, thanks for sharing that. And uh, so Henry, let's talk a little bit about your background. Um, you're currently at uh, Shine uh, Entertainment Media. You're um, a soccer agent and the director of talent and marketing there. So tell us a little bit about your background, uh, how you got into what you're doing and, and, and what you're currently working on. Yeah, of course. Um, so my story is uh, a fair bit shorter. Um, I started working as, uh, for this company in 2016, initially working in the soccer space. As some of you may be able to tell, I am British. I have been in America for 10 years at this point. And while my work is predominantly with soccer players in the MLS, well, we, we also work with uh, NFL and NBA players in a commercial capacity. So where we don't represent their careers throughout the deciding which teams to be a part of their contract negotiations, we get them endorsement deals and bring them other opportunities and work with them in that way. So I started with Shine in 2016. Um, I was going to the University of Miami at the time. Uh, so there's a lot of sports going on, a lot of players and a lot of connections that were around me. And then when I just was able to carve out a career path, I could be an agent. I was told that going to law school was the best way to do that. So I went to Pepperdine, California. And I kept my job going pretty much the whole time while I was in law school, which is quite hard to do, but it helped me build contacts and have this base of an agency that I was still working with at the time. Um, I got my law degree, passed the bar in California and continued my work with the agency. So initially I started off getting more commercial endorsements and now I'm in charge of finding, sourcing talent for MLS teams, negotiating the contracts, meeting with the executives, doing everything that an agent would do for the soccer side. It's 
doing soccer is a little bit different from all traditional American sports. That's why it's good to be focused for me on soccer specifically, and then doing the commercial stuff with NFL and NBA players. Um, I am not married, but one day, hopefully. <laughs> I love it. Now, um, Henry, on the soccer piece, is that something that um, were you always a soccer fan? Did you, you know, that was sort of like something that you wanted to get into, or was it more um, kind of just happened? What was your what was your process there? Yeah, I mean, soccer in in Europe and Latin America is is a religion more than it is a sport. So I played my whole life. Um, I was never good enough to be the 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 star of the show. Um, but when I found out that you could be a soccer agent, and I was so fascinated by the the business of the sport that you can manage these guys careers you can be close to the game still you can help teams find new players when i realized that was a job that became my only goal that was it that's the only reason i went to law school i didn't want to be working in any other field that that was basically my my main drive um so if if you find something that you think is exactly perfect for you just just go after it no, I appreciate you sharing that. And Dennis was, was the baseball aspect for you, uh, m- you know, mo- mo- I guess mostly born out of the fact that you were a ball player or you had a passion for the sport. What was your, what was your kind of your process there? When it started out, you know, I went to school in Gardena high in the mid sixties. And I was, uh, you know, being an inner city guy, uh, Every day was just one of those days where, you know, you were terrified walking into the boys' bathroom. You know, it was just like, uh, you don't have many friends. Everybody's out to prove out that they're the toughest guy on the street. And I wasn't really a tough guy, but I was a very fast runner. And so, you know, I started out running track and, you know, I found out that I could hit a baseball also. I ran 120 and next thing you know, I had scouts chasing me all over the place. Uh, I ended up playing baseball in South Central, a place called South Park. Uh, um, you know, and uh, first got drafted out of high school by the Pirates and then got drafted again by the Red Sox after I was in uh, at Los City College. The union has done an incredible job for the players, you know, in, in upping minimum salaries and creating salary arbitration. So I had to go to law school and I went to law school correspondently at Taft Law in order to just understand torts and contracts and crimes, which is which are the three most important things in a sports agent, at least I feel. Henry's doing endorsements. I did very, very few endorsement work like, like Henry does. Uh, I just really negotiated against general managers, owners, teams, you know. I wasn't much of a lawyer, I was more of a sales before I do any deal, I talk to the player, go through strategies, tell them, this is what I see. This is how I think you should do this. And this is what I would like to see happen. This is why they gave me 5% of their income. Uh, you know, it's silly to hire a lawyer and then try to do, do things on your own. Remember what they say but. Uh, uh, somebody who becomes his own lawyer, he's a fool for The big contract I did was Barry Bonds's. And it was a $50 million deal with a bunch of incentives. The Benia deal will pay out almost $100 million. That was done in 1993. Uh, you know, there were other big ones along the way, but nothing like the ones today. I mean, the guy who did two of the $300 million deals, Danny Lozano, worked for me. He was my intern for three years. And then now he's, you know, 
He's got the tees. He's got, you know, guys all over baseball. You know, then Beverly Hills Sports Council is still around, but they're not like they were. When I sold the company to the guys that own it, you know, there were four of them. And, and uh, uh, they ended up all splitting up after uh, five, six years after I arrived. I'm in the insurance business now. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing that, uh, Dennis. And um, I guess uh, going back to maybe talk a little bit about for both you guys, what, what does some of the registration process look like when you want to become an agent? Is there any paperwork you got to fill out? Is there any, like obviously for Major League Baseball, you got to take the, uh, the labor test now. You got to get certified. Um, maybe some of those things were different uh, when you were an agent, Dennis. And then maybe ten, Henry, talk about your process in terms of how to become a, a soccer agent. Yeah, so for soccer, every country has its specific rules because it's a, a worldwide sport. So you can be a registered agent in any country. And then once you are all the arbitration, if there's any disputes, it goes to Switzerland. So as long as you're a registered agent in some country, you can represent your client in that way. Um, but the, there's no sort of you have to take a certain level of education like you do with others. And for a lot of agents, say um, agents in Colombia, it's just paying a fee, really. You just have to pay a fee and then you can become an agent. You just need people who are your players. That's, it's, it's really very simple in soccer. And to do all the commercial agency stuff, you, it's just business. So you're not representing them on a day-to-day basis. So you don't need any sort of formal registration for that. Okay. No, very helpful. And then Dennis... Was it similar process? I know the process for Major League Baseball has changed, but um, what was it like uh, when you when you were an agent? There was no process. You just had to you had to have a client that wanted you to represent him. Uh, no formal. I mean, I had a, a good education, probably, but it wasn't a law school education, and it wasn't even a college degree education. And ended up just being an education of the streets, learning how to talk to people, being persuasive, taking care of people. Right. Yeah. But, which 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 may be more valuable, you know, in, in a lot of the a lot of the different ways, right? Um, I think it both helps. Yeah. Both, both helps a lot. Um, you know, trying, you know, the first time I went to salary arbitration, I hired a lawyer. He charged me about 70% of what I made the entire year on the player. Wow. And uh, I thought I could do better than, than he did. Uh, we won the case, but I did most of the nuts and bolts because I knew baseball better than he did. One of the right. things was, is I stayed to one sport. You know, Henry's way more talented, smarter, better educated than me. So he can, you know, he, you can multitask. I just stayed in baseball, stayed in my own lane. Felt like I was as good or better than anybody in that industry. Yeah. That's very kind of you. I would, uh, given your career, rebut that a little bit. Um, <laughs> but I will say that the focus on one sport is, I've heard from many, many people, including Scott Boras, the, the way to do it. If you know one sport better than everyone else, focus on that one. I do commercial things for other sports, but soccer is my my home. That's that's what I know better than anyone, in my opinion. Yeah. No, I tell you, that's important. And I've heard that same thing, Dennis and, and Henry, that – and actually, if you look at agents who sometimes get into trouble, uh, it's because they've expanded into other sports because it's hard to keep track of the rules. It's hard to – develop those relationships and that sort of thing. Um, Dennis, can you talk a little bit about the baseball arbitration process? Because that's something that's pretty unique to baseball. Um, And so just so the folks know, it's uh, essentially for the first six years that a major league baseball player is on a um, 25 man roster. And Dennis, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, they're essentially owned by the team. They're controlled and owned by the team. And they're paid a major league minimum salary unless they're given um, some sort of extension contract that buys out their arbitration years. But, you know, 
after your third season or sorry, fourth season, I guess it would be third, third season, third, fourth, and fifth seasons, you have what they call baseball arbitration, where you basically go through and you're in front of a neutral, you know, arbitrator and, um, and you essentially have, uh, an arbitration against the team. So player versus team or versus club. And then from that, uh, a salary is determined, uh, based on prior players, you know, statistics, uh, it's pretty rare. Uh, it probably 1% of the attorneys in the country or, um, or representatives in the country actually get to go through arbitration. Uh, it's a very elite process. Um, so, you know, Dennis being a part of that group, uh, maybe Dennis, you could tell us a little bit about that process and what your experience was. Well, Jeremy, interestingly enough, when I first started, it was just two years. And the first one I tried was a guy named Brett Saberhagen. You, everybody familiar with that name? Oh, yeah. Big name. It's a big name, but nobody else is nodding their head. <laughs> so Brett Saberhagen won two Cy Youngs in the 1980s for the Kansas City Royals. He was MVP in the World Series. And after a short period of time, he was able to go to arbitration. By the way, it's arbitration to be eligible for arbitration. You need two years and you have to be in, in the top 20% of your class, of third year class, as far as service time. So it's two pluses can go, they're considered two pluses, they can go to arbitration and all the way up through year six. Uh, you can only win or lose in, South, in baseball arbitration. You cannot settle. In other words, an arbitrator or three arbitrators as they have now uh, can only decide for one side or the other. They can't split the baby. So you make your presentation, they make their presentation. Uh, it's, generally a lot of statistical things, but I did it a little bit Hollywood. So what I did is we, we got video we, and uh, we had highlight films of all of our players. I went a, a little bit above that. Like I get my guys on Johnny Carson and use video from the Carson show. I get them on you know different other shows. I'd have them all do. Uh, special, uh, uh, let's say, special endorsement things for charities. I always take video of that and use that as part of it. Uh, if, if, the, if one of my players went to like Children's Hospital, I got a video of that and use all that stuff in salary arbitration. Use a little bit of music. And I will tell you that uh, I had one arbitration where I got the lawyer from the Dodgers very, very upset with me when we, when we played the song, Another One Bites the Dust, for, for a pitcher named Tim Leary, if you remember the 1988 World Series. Uh, people don't remember much about him, but he won 17 games and lost six. He was the number two or three starter on that team. That was the last World Series win until 2020 for the, for the Dodgers. And uh, we went to arbitration and beat the Dodgers up pretty good. <laughs> was that Sam Fernandez? It is, still is. <laughs> Oh, he's, he's, still, he's still not happy with another one bites the dust. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's awesome, Dennis. Um, and then, um, Henry, how do you navigate between like Major League Soccer um, and international soccer? Or are you only focusing internationally? Um, so, MLS, we do mostly representing the players who play in MLS. But there's, um, there's a unique aspect of soccer called being an intermediary. So, for example, say you're an agent living and working in America and you come across this most incredible Slovakian player. The Slovakian player and his agent, they don't know anyone in America. They don't 
that there's no way that these guys would have any connections here. You try to reach out to them and say, hey, there's a few clubs looking for a player with a similar sort of profile to your guy. Um, are you interested in working together? And then I would be the intermediary between the clubs that I know in America and this agent in Slovakia. And then with them, I'd have my own mandate, my own contract with them and how the deal would work if everything were to go through. And we would try under the MLS regulations to bring this player to MLS, if that gives you sense. And then we just do the standards, managing the players who are in MLS. If there are players, we manage their day-to-day, their teams. And then when they go abroad, we continue to manage them because they're our player. But with some people, once you've become the intermediary for the player coming across, you keep the relationship alive because there's lots of movement into America, back to Europe, down to South America. There's lots of that going on. So a lot of the times, if you've done a good deal, they want to keep you in that role. Okay. Now that makes sense. And I feel like I've heard similar on the basketball scene when you, when you have guys that uh, players playing overseas and you can team up with other agents and, and that sort of thing. Uh, probably makes it a little bit easier, right? In terms of managing expectations on the endorsement side, Henry, I want to stick with you for a bit. Uh, and I'm going to go back to Dennis. Um, tell us a little about like the life of like an endorsement deal. Like what, what does that look like for you on the soccer side? Um, are you out there kind of, uh, farming these sort of, uh, projects and sort of seeking them or are they coming to your doorstep and to your clients? And of course, in the age of social media, are you getting these messages on social media saying, can we endorse this product or is it a little more formal than that? Yeah, I mean, to answer your question, every which way, it depends on the profile of the player. If you have, you know, the LeBron James of soccer, people will come to you. You don't have to source. Uh, but when you've done one deal with the company and it's, it's gone well, then you try to keep that relationship going for other players that you have. And then some of it is sourcing it all the way through. We just found this company that's making a lot of money since the pandemic. We think they're trying to grow within America, that sort of thing. Then we'll build from the ground up off of players that we work with um, and try to create deals ourselves. But if you have a top level player, we do we represent a lot of Mexican players um, who in Mexico have huge appeal. So we get messages all the time. People want to work with them. We get messages over social media. Um, my, my number is available on a lot of agent sites. So I got a, a lot of random WhatsApp messages in English, Portuguese, Spanish, Arabic, whatever you want. There's always someone trying to get in touch. If you have a good enough player, people will, people will find a way to get in touch with you. Right. No, thank you for that. Um, and so, Dennis, I want to go back to you. Talk a little about the insurance side of the business. Um, maybe talk a little bit about sort of what services that you provide to the players. And I know that you and I spoke a little bit about the, uh, that antidote of uh, um, the Walker Bueller story and uh, with his insurance policy. So long story short is Walker Bueller, you know, obviously a well-known uh, starting pitcher for the Dodgers. Uh, when he was coming out of Vanderbilt university, uh, it was known that he might have um, some problems with his elbow. And so uh, his draft stock had uh, dropped. He was supposed to be a number one pick or somewhere in the top five. His draft stock uh, fell and he fell into the Dodgers hands. Uh, normally a guy like that would probably go to, you know, uh, again, a top five pick. And so usually a team with, uh, with a bad record, but he fell to the Dodgers and, uh, and the Dodgers had played well that season prior. And, um, his parents, uh, very savvy, uh, took out an insurance policy against his arm and against his draft stock, basically saying if his draft stock had, had fallen, he would get some sort of payout. And it's my understanding that now that policy is not allowed, but, uh, Dennis, maybe talk a little bit about your, um, your experience in the insurance industry and what, what you're providing players, uh, on the insurance side or clients in general. Well, I still do a lot of business with ballplayers, but I don't act as an agent and I deal with a lot of different agents actually all over the country. And they all seem to want the Bobby Bonilla plan with their guys. And they use it as a recruiting tool. 
that makes, you know, it's not what you have or what you make, it's what you keep. And a lot of, you know, and to give these guys steady income streams after they retire is extremely important to the kids that have any brains. As far as disability insurance, you know, again, for a baseball player, he can make one pitch and he's done. Okay. He can dive into a base, blow his arm out, he's done. Blow his knee out, he's done. So, I mean, there are, you know, you know, there's, you know, different types of insurance. Uh, I don't think there's anybody else who's in my industry who played baseball. I mean, I've seen guys get hurt. Guys, uh, I think his name was Dukowski. Have you ever heard of that name? That one's not familiar. You said Dukowski? I think it's Dukowski. He had the best arm in, in the history of baseball through 105 miles an hour. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember this guy. Yeah. Guy with, with Baltimore. And uh, uh, he finally, you know, he got to the big leagues. It was wild as heck. And they finally, you know, straightened him out. And he made the big league team and he's pitching in spring training just before his his first uh, major league start. And he guy bunts on him. He feel, goes down to field the butt and he hears something pop. And that was it. So, I mean, disability insurance, retirement insurance, life insurance, you know, is an important part if you're recruiting or when you're recruiting, unless you're just talking to somebody who's just, you know, I just want my money now to, you know, just give me my cash. You know, those are the players we didn't want. I wanted the George Bretts and the Bobby Benias, Mike Piazzas, Barry Bonds, Ricky Henderson, Canseco. You know, these guys were smart. Brett Saberhagen. We're still getting paid today, a lot of them are. Right. So I, I think a lot of agents today, though, don't have anything to do with, with their finances. I don't know, Henry, do you guys do uh, finances for the guys or do you refer them to stockbrokers or what do you do? Um, we handle a small amount, like five at most. We don't really go beyond that because it's too much work for us. I mean, do you sell insurance to them or do you? No, we don't do any of that. But I mean, that's not really something that's on their radar as much as it would be for, I imagine, a baseball player. So it's just income. You know, the Bobby Bonilla plan, the Bobby Bonilla day, the Bobby, you know, it's just crazy. So for 35 years, this guy's going to get $1.2 million a year. I love that. What, what, what year is it in now, Dennis? How, how many years are we into it? Uh, well, I think it started getting paid like in 2000. I know it goes to 2035. Okay. So I think it's 2001 he got his first year. It's a, it's a great retirement because of you. <laughs> well, but he, but he uh, you know, the team, the organizations, they have retirement plans, but they're not nearly the kind of money. And you know what most pro athletes have to do because they don't have this? They generally start taking their retirement plans at age 45 years old. That's as soon as they can take them at the IRS it'll roll out. And it's amazing how many of them end up, you know, as bartenders, not that being a bartender is bad or, or you know, going into landscaping or doing other stuff. Uh, it's just, you know, because most of these guys are convinced to leave school early, not really get a formal education. Even the ones that do, they skate through it. Somebody takes their test for them. They really don't have an idea what to do or how to do it. 
You can't put them in a business room. I'm not saying all of them, I'm saying most of them. And I mean really most of them. You know, some of them will play golf. And, you know, today's athletes, the top guys that make so much money, even though they lose it, they still have money. So the top guys really don't need it. Although some of them, they still get it. The guys who are proven still get it. And I think that when, when you're looking at a, at a kid, Henry, when you're signing a kid or when you're doing something with them, you got to talk to them, you know, taking money out of the dollars today and putting it to the bank of tomorrow. You know, I think that, that the kids feel more comfortable with you then. I used to use that line all the time when I was recruiting. You know, you're not in there for the fast buck. You're in there to make sure that this guy's taken care of. Otherwise, he's just going to be carrying a lunch pail one day. Right. No, good point. Tonight, the, the guy's name was Steve Dalkowski. Steve Dalkowski, that's it. Yeah. Hardest thrower ever. And then have you heard about this kid at uh, uh, tennis in uh, University of Tennessee uh, throwing 105? Mm-hmm. Ben Joyce. Yeah. Um, so Dennis, I want to stick with you for uh, this next question. Talk a little bit about, um, your involvement with the professional, uh, baseball scouts foundation. How did that come about? And, uh, what does that organization do? Um, the organization's not, not alive anymore. The pandemic put us out, but what we did, in fact, I could, I'm happy to send you, uh, a uh, little video. I think Vegas is going to take over. Uh, we had we had like Hollywood meets baseball, and then we had the Scout of the Year get awards, and Hall of Famers come to it. And we sold you know twelve to fifteen hundred tickets every year. All the money went to 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 these scouts who kept getting fired. You know, with all the technical stuff going on today. Teams think they need, they don't need scouts as much as they needed it in the past. Okay, baseball is really changing. How many people on this call are baseball people? And let's say, I know some could be soccer, some could be basketball. How many are just baseball people? Any? Huh? We got one. <laughs> Two. Yeah, we're pretty rare these days, Dennis. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and that's why. I mean, baseball's changing. It's evolving into something that, you know, it's becoming boring. Baseball games are four and a half hours. You know, players are, you know, just different. They're, they're just different. I can tell that's when I got started getting out of it almost 20 years ago. So uh, I'm just happy with what I'm doing right now. Yeah. And then Dennis on the White Sox piece. So you're still doing arbitrations for the Chicago White Sox. I am. And that's uh, that's about what once a year or so, right? When their players come through that. That's correct. I that's one of the skill sets that I learned and I kept. I love to argue. I love to be persuasive. Uh, you know, I love to negotiate. That's how I stayed married for 44 years. (laughs) I love it. I love it. And then, uh, Henry on your side, in terms of like an endorsement deal, are you mostly working from, uh, like contract templates on that stuff? Or is it, does it depend on the corporate partner you're working with? How does that play into it? And then maybe talk a little bit about uh, name, image, and likeness from the standpoint of if you're dealing with any college soccer players. Yeah, I mean, as of yet, we haven't really dealt with any college soccer players just because the, the following isn't really there. And a lot of brands will value people based purely off their Instagram numbers and outreach. Maybe they'll have the foresight to have like a long-term deal with someone, but it's not really worth our time yet delving into that. Um, but in terms of the, the contracts themselves, a lot of the brands will have their own contracts and ways of doing it. And then we negotiate from that standpoint, 
we always have our standard templates that we use as well, but we like them to go first essentially. And so we can negotiate from that point and sort of see how they like to do things. And then we also get ideas from the way that they word things as well. So it's better to get in our mind, the contract from them first and to kind of negotiate back. Okay. Now that makes sense. Um, and then, uh, so Dennis, I appreciate you sharing that, uh, Henry. Dennis, how do you, if, if you could comment on this next question, um, you know, when you were an agent, social media wasn't around, right? I mean, social sure. media. So it was like, uh, and really social media has just become a big thing. We, maybe we, we didn't have cell phones. We had phone booths. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about, um, uh, maybe how, how it might've been different had those things been around, you know, I mean, do you think it would have made your job easier, uh, more difficult? I don't know how it could have been more difficult than it was. <laughs> I mean, every other week, you know, there were bar fights with the players that were, you know, guys getting caught for, say, not paying their income tax. There was just problems all the time. We're, I was always in meetings with, uh, you know, flying all over the country, getting guys out of jail. And the stuff that was going on was crazy. We didn't have social media, and, you know, and just that way. Athletes are targets. Yeah. Most of them were not mature enough to know how to handle being a target. Yeah. Well, I tell you, it's probably, I mean, I think to your approach, Dennis, about having that sort of full on uh, advisory approach where you're not only saying, let me help you land a good contract, but let me help invest that for you too and find a good way. So you're getting paid down the road. And to your point, maybe not a lot of uh, agents are doing that these days. I don't, like I said, a lot of agents, okay, use me to help get insurance. Mostly like the income thing for Bobby Bonilla for their clients. I mean, seriously, Jeremy, if you were a practicing agent, wouldn't you want your clients to get income after they retire? Absolutely. There you go. Absolutely. Um, and then I don't know if you guys talked about this earlier because my uh, I think I cut out there for a minute, but I think I mentioned everybody that Dennis is uh, Dennis is the gentleman that sits behind home plate. Did you guys all catch that? Okay, so I've been watching Dennis as long as I've been watching Dodger games <laughs> behind the plate, huh? No hair and makeup tonight, guys. Right. <laughs> Actually, when I asked when I asked Dennis to join us, he says, "Well, let me check if there's a Dodger game or not." <laughs> so, um, well, thank you both for joining us. Well, I guess we'll close with this then, Dennis and Henry. Maybe uh, some words of advice or I, look. Uh, I think going to law school, if I had if I had the academic background, I would have loved to go to law school. If I had the money, I would have loved to have gone to law school. If I had the time, I would like to go to law school. Didn't have any of those. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to make money. So I sold insurance and I fell into, I fell into being an agent uh, because it was my skill set. Look, I think a good lawyer, if he's a trial lawyer, has the same skill set as an insurance guy. You have to be persuasive. Uh, you have to you have to get all the evidence together. And in my case, you have to get all the background information together. You just can't sell insurance to somebody without knowing a lot of stuff about it. About where they want to be, what they really want to do. You gotta get people, you gotta get people to open up. Uh, in, in law school, uh, you know, it, it, it's very, it's very similar. Before you you go to trial, you have to take depositions. You have to find out what the facts are. What is it? Facts, issues, right? Right. Well, facts and issues, and and, and you know, and when you go to negligence, what is it? Duty, breach, causation, 
you know, the whole whole thing. I mean, you have to, I mean, that's all part of things that you have to learn, but they all come together. Going to law school teaches you about cases, about different cases, teaches you how to write, teaches you how to think. Uh, that's what I learned in law school. It taught me to think a little different. Taught me how to write a little different. Uh, doesn't mean I can write any, that I can write well, because I don't. I can't spell for shit. <laughs> you know, and, and, and as a baseball player, I was a three-tool guy. I could hit, I could really run, and I could talk. So that's the one tool I still got. Three tool. <laughs> I didn't heard that before. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's see. Have some some closing thoughts from Henry and from Dennis. Um, Henry, let's start with you and then close with you, Dennis. Maybe just some words of wisdom you can share in terms of, uh, uh, you know, becoming a success or just anything in terms of words of wisdom you want to share before we part. Yeah, I guess I would say two things. Um, the first is know know what you're good at. I think that's important for your players as well. You know, players who flourish know what they do well. And I think it's the same for people working in the industry. Know what you're good at and become a specialist in that. And I heard this a lot and it's it's really true. And it, it doesn't um, necessarily sound like a lot, but get out there and network with as many people as you can. And this is a, a, an industry of relationships. It's a smaller industry than you think. Like Dennis said, he, he knows everyone. If you will meet these people again and again and again. So get out there and, and get your face out there. Make sure people know who you are. And over time, it will bear fruit. Those are the people who will, you know, employ you, will make deals with you. Those are the people who will be the most important in the future. Oh, thanks, Henry. I appreciate you being here. Dennis, I, I, go I, ahead. You know, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think you have to have, first of all, you have to have passion for, for the sport. You have to really understand the sport. You have to be knowledgeable about the sport. You have to know more than the client knows. That's why he needs you. Okay. Uh, I feel that if, you know, if you're on your game, if you're on your game, you know your sport, and then do as much homework. Like you, you asked a great question, Jeremy. What would be really different? Well, having the internet today, before I met a player, I would know everything there is to know about him. I really would. Uh, it's like now if I'm selling insurance to somebody, I'll Google them. I'll do as much research as I can before I meet them. I'll ask him some questions that I'll already know the answer. I'll have to expound on them. But, you know, knowledge is power. Law school is great. Any education you get is great. Uh, you know, you can talk to as many guys as you can. You know, people, different people do things, you know, different ways. The one thing, but I'm gonna give you one really good piece of advice. It's easy to get greedy and to not follow the rules. Now yeah. think about that for a minute. It's easy to get greedy and not follow the rules. But remember, if you don't, and sometime you get caught, you have to live with it the rest of your life. So, you know, if you do things the right way and you do them the way you expect your father to do it or your mother to do it, you know, you'll do the right thing. It's the way I always look at things. Is this something my dad would do or is this something? You know, and remember, when you have kids, they, you know, it's real important. Kids really look and know everything that you do all the time. You want to do it the right way. Having a law degree is not going to hurt you at all. 
fact, if you decide to get into the sports business, you know, it's a great business. I just couldn't keep running around the country all the time. I couldn't, you know, getting on planes. I went to the Dominican, Puerto Rico, Venezuela, Japan, every year, spring training, every year. I had no life. Yeah. You know? And so you make decisions. And you can't do it just by being smart. And just because you hustle, that doesn't mean you're good. Yet, but you have to go out and see people. And doing it on a cell phone or doing it by text doesn't make it. Doesn't make it. You got to get in their grill. You got you to be there. You got to be with them. You got to let them know you care. If you can sign a player today, Tomorrow he leaves you. That's the worst hurt in the whole world. You can really like a player and work your tail off for him. And then you get a letter firing you. Yeah. Happens all the time. I lost a few players. Came out of the clear blue. Had no idea. Players I got good contracts for. You know, what the other agents used to use on me, oh, Gilbert's too big. You know, he's too big. You, you know, he can't possibly give you the time I can. You want to be with someone small. You know, and I thought about that a little bit. I said, no. When I was small, that's what I said. You don't want to be with me. <laughs> Trust me, that's the only place small agents have. That's all you can do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Dennis, hey, Henry, you guys have been fantastic and uh, really appreciate your guys' time tonight. Um, so... Uh, just awesome. R round of applause for great speakers, guys. So, uh, well, thank you for having us, uh, Henry. Good to meet you. Pleasure to meet you too. Thank you very much, Jeremy. All right. Anytime. Thanks, Henry. Thanks, Dennis. We'll talk Take soon. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, folks. Thanks again for listening in. This is Jeremy Evans, your host of the Believe in Sports Law podcast. As always, appreciate you making us the number one sports law podcast in the world. We'll look forward to being back with you next week. Thank you so much. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel and I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.